Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Dawn of X podcast, the podcast we talk about the best books in the X-Men line. I'm your host, Nick, accompanied by my wonderful co-host in the chair. It's me. I'm in the chair. Wait, that sounds vaguely ominous. Uh, it's Josh. We're here to talk X-Men as always. And I think maybe as always going forward, we have we have somebody else to introduce. <laughs> as someone we chain, we chain here. It's me, Jess, the narrator. Yay! There it is. I want to make because I, I like I put I put it in like the descriptions and stuff. And I'm like, we never actually like so welcome. I've, I've been introduced as just the narrator. Why are you shoving it in my face? <laughs> <laughs> just the narrator with the microphone literally in her face. Inside my mouth. <laughs> just completely going to town on that mic. Yeah. I have nothing to say in this discussion. <laughs> Uh, oh, no? All right, fine. No, no, nothing. Just letting that one. Nothing to add to it, huh? Sorry. No. no. <laughs> you have to speak into the mic to get the best quality. And I will say, this is, if, dear listener, if the innuendo up top is too much for you to bear, perhaps stop listening now, because this issue is going to get real spicy. <laughs> or episode issue, whatever the fuck we are in. Anyway. Yes, this is uh, episode three of our Phoenix Extravaganza. Part we are episode 100 part three let's yes. get that right <laughs> 100 we do what, part we, three we do what we want around these parts yes 100 percent. so we are covering the i guess middle to end of the phoenix saga like leading into the dark phoenix saga i would say we're round and third coming into home for all my baseball fans out there yep all one of you so today we have a lot to talk about but before we get into that it's time for uh nick's rant corner all right I'm gonna What's go ahead grinding and... my gears? Uh, What's grinding uh, your gears, my friend? <laughs> it is comic book Twitter, shockingly. So, little backstory: this comic book writer, um, store owner, kind of went on a little rant about comics these days are not being written the way the characters should be represented. It's people putting their own personalities on characters, which I'm like, you mean comics? Can I can I interrupt? Go for it. You said it was a comic book store owner. Yeah. Let's name names, motherfucker. Let's do it. Where, I, where yeah, is this? I honestly don't remember his name. You don't, do you remember where the store was? No, this is like... Ugh, maybe so glad I unmuted for this. All right, continue. Yeah. No problem. So, and to me, he just sounded like every other comic book store owner that says comics were better back in my day. It's always that way. I've heard it in every goddamn comic book store I've ever been to in my life where the owner hates everything that's on the shelf which is also not a great business practice if you consistently talk about how much you hate everything on the shelf which is all garbage buy something kid basically and um this led famous comic book writer mark millar to interview him for i guess like his online show or whatever and basically propped up this idea that the reason comics are sales are hurting right now not because of all physical media going down not because People just don't fucking read comics. But because, of course, minority, woke ideology, everyone else's fault kind of bullshit. And that kicked off a lot of the people in the comics gate sphere, like those assholes, like yeah, Ethan Van, whatever, and all those jerks that are blatantly racist and homophobic and sexist and all that fun stuff, right? I know of, of, of like the group you speak, but I'm so fucking happy that I don't know any of their fucking names. Like, yeah. they don't, des- I, in no world does something like that deserve any room in my I only very know limited Ethan, brain. 
because he was actually the first artist in the beginning of Jeff John's Green Lantern run, which is one of my favorite um, runs of all time, which makes me even more sad. But Ivan Reyes is much better anyway, so fuck him. Oh, um, damn. But uh, yeah, so people know, I've mentioned on this show before, I have liked Mark Millar's work for a long time. A ton and of people stuff. will know, because I've mentioned on this show, <laughs> that I was right. Because I Once? <laughs> never liked mark millar i mean i did here in 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 your defense i did when like i was like a teenager i have like yes. a lot of his original run shit on like the red sun and all, all, that, all that early fucking 2000s shit and at the time as like a fucking angsty man you know what i mean like you're like which is exactly what you know what i mean like he's like oh yeah it's always fucking been there dipshits like yeah. we just didn't want to see it because we're like oh it's edgy but it's Basically. edgy in like an edgelord way and not in like an actually edgy way. That's yeah. all I wanted to contribute to this. Yeah, it's just, it's, his writing hasn't changed, which honestly I haven't re- read a lot of his stuff lately because I feel like every book he's been writing is a secret pitch for a show or a movie. It doesn't feel like a natural comic. It feels like a pilot, you know? Sure, like I, I, do, I would know. I, I truly, I I couldn't name you a fucking thing he's written since like 2003, maybe. Like, I don't know. Well, I feel like that's the issue with a lot of indie books lately. A lot of them just feel like pilots and beginner scripts for a movie they hope to like, get. Like, hey, come, come option this. Yeah, yeah. a lot of that. Yeah. So I've been disinterested in a lot of his stuff. But if someone told me like tomorrow, hey, he's going to write X character, I'll definitely jump to it. Until recently. So he's been propping up these extreme cancel culture, blame everything on minorities group people. And then he's now coined the term cancel pigs. Okay. Um, I realized I I had a moment there where I was like, I forgot this is an audio medium. Uh, My face just went all kinds of different weird ways. He's been using that term a lot lately. Um, like, on my Twitter feed, if anyone looks at it, uh, at Madman3005. Go ahead. I, I talked over that. Please pitch yourself again. Oh, sorry. Um, I was saying that on my Twitter feed, at Madman3005, okay. I've had fun basically linking him to people he's been supporting. So like when that Ethan guy talks about sexist things and blatant homophobic things and sometimes pedophilic things, I'll link uh, Mark Millar's Twitter page and say, is this your friend? Uh, yeah. a lot of stuff like that dude you know, cancel but... wait just what the fuck does cancel pig even mean like that's so lame like, yeah, we just talk lame. about how lame that is though yeah. like what's wrong with these fucking stupid nerds yeah it's really sad because like i do admire his work from back in the day and it does remember what it used to mean something to try to be cool and now you're just yeah. gonna do cancel like oh, come on man you fucking loser it, it really is and it's sad and then today actually this one's a lot less surprising uh, Rob Layfield kind of joined in. I know, right? He's been doing that forever, though. Like, oh, no. Yeah, he's always been a dickhead. Like, that's not disappointing because I expect nothing more from, from him. But, like, with um with Mark Millar, you know, it's a shame because I do like a lot of his older stuff. And I think the first two kick-ass books are really fun. He has a lot of good indie stuff. He's, he's changed comics, I think, for the better with character choices. I... I don't think he has, but I, I understand where you're coming from. Like his Mark, I don't know his name, uh, his Flash run, his old man Logan story. You know, like there's a lot of good stuff. Ultimates, the Ultimates. And and again, I don't, I mean, I think his, I think his work was a very post 9-11 yes. aggressive shit that I don't think was beneficial to the comics. 
<laughs> but so. like it, it's it's still like sad and depressing but also maybe i hear I, and again i hear where you're coming from i'm, I'm not yeah. saying like i think anything like i don't i'm not disagreeing with that i'm just kind of like i i have a different view of it you know what I mean? yeah sure um but yeah so like i've been kind of poking the bear a bit on certain comic book writers that have been agreeing like oh yeah all these people are ruining our industry and it's like half the people complaining about this shit don't read anything well, and I now have a new respect for Donnie Cates because, like, immediately he was like, you know, when you walk into a furniture store and they tell you how bad all the couches are, yeah, it must be their fault. Yeah, truly. And then he, um, he deleted it because he got attacked by so many assholes about the tweet. Jesus. Well, I mean, you feel free to use this as a segue if you want, but like, if you keep poking that bear or, or shaking that tree, I do fear that a, a Chris Claremont might fall out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have to go really deep into the tree. Let's but, hope. You know, yeah. We gotta hope. We gotta hope. But speaking of problematic things characters do, we are covering <laughs> quite a few issues of Phoenix of the Phoenix Saga, with um. For me, some really great stuff. Some stuff I didn't see coming mm-hmm. at okay. all. Yeah. Anything um, else from you? <laughs> uh, some character debuts I didn't know happened here. Oh, cool. Okay. I'll, yeah, I'll be I, interested. Well, go ahead. What, like, who, go ahead. Who? who? Oh, like who Kitty. You... I didn't know Kitty debuted. Okay, you didn't before. know. Yeah. yeah. So for reference, when I read Bits of the Phoenix Saga, it was the issue where uh, Sebastian Shaw debuted. Oh, and this is gonna this is gonna go right into some notes later. But you were like, "Oh man, that I just love how his titties are always out." Yes, he and I want everyone. <laughs> and I want I want that topless man in my life as much as possible. Yeah, basically, I hear you, man. Because yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ, John Byrne and Chris Claremont. Yeah? Everyone's well, it's like titties we mentioned are before about time. like you can tell who he likes to draw. Oh yeah. Yeah, it comes out. I don't think he enjoyed drawing Emma Frost. Not at times. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it yeah. it felt like the least, especially how she is now, she didn't come off that consequential or interesting in this story. And, I, and, I'll, and to be fair, this was quite literally her debut. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, Chris, they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. Like, she might have been conceived of as a throwaway character, but um, we'll, get to, all have maybe... we'll get to all of this. Yeah, this and was. Then also, I debut. might have one controversial opinion about how this story plays out in the beginning that I think they should have flipped to make it better. But we'll get to that maybe in this issue. Oh, I can't wait for your for your script notes for Chris Claremont. Look forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please carry. I don't know. I don't love it. I love it. I love this. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> But to kick it all off, we have our wonderful narrator describing issue 129 of Uncanny X-Men. The X-Men are all gathered around the Blackbird as they say their goodbyes and prepare to leave Muir Island. Banshee decides to stay with Moira to help her recover and because his powers don't work anymore. Scott tries to convince Alex and Lorna to come with them and join the team, but Alex and Lorna just want to live normal lives, and so they stay behind as well. Oh, Alex and Lorna. The plane takes off back to the mansion, and Colossus is still reeling from having to kill Proteus. Wolverine is pouting, but has an in-flight pillow, so he'll be okay. And Storm and Jean are clearly flirting. 
Because air traffic control doesn't exist in the Marvel Universe, the Blackbird unknowingly speeds past the Hellfire Club's jet carrying Jason Wingard. I guess that's close enough for his powers to work because Wingard then pulls Jean into another vision of the 18th century. Jean is now aboard a ship bringing her and her soon-to-be husband to America. Jean pulls away from Jason and goes to the deck of the ship. She tries using her psychic powers to determine if this is fake, but all her senses tell her it's real. She begins to believe that she's being pulled back in time into the body of one of her ancestors and assumes that something the Phoenix Force is doing. At this moment, the ship's captain approaches her. In reality, it's Scott, and he helps pull her out of this illusion. She tells Scott she's okay, that there's nothing anyone can do to help her anyway, and then they start making out in front of everyone. As the Blackbird approaches the mansion, the X-Men are alerted to an intruder. They quickly land the plane, because that's totally how planes work, suit up and go storming in, ready for battle. But it's not Magneto or Eric the Red, it's something worse. Professor X is back from space. We then cut to a few days later. Scott and Jean are strolling around the mansion when they hear yelling coming from the danger room. Before Scott can check it out, Wolverine comes bursting out of the room, bitching about Xavier treating him like a child. Scott tells Jean he was afraid something like this would happen and heads off to talk to Xavier, who is still running danger room exercises for Nightcrawler, Storm, and Colossus. Scott tries to explain to Xavier that this new team isn't a bunch of kids like before, that everyone is adults with experience. That the old training ways don't work with this group, but Xavier lashes out and tells Scott he's a piece of shit and a bad leader. Before Xavier can say other hurtful shit to his surrogate son, Cerebro goes off alerting them to the presence of two new mutants. (gasps) Xavier, who is always in the market for more soldiers, sends Scott, Gene, and Kurt to New York City for one of the new mutants. While he, Storm, Colossus, and Wolverine head to Chicago for the other mutant. Unbeknownst to the X-Men, however, the mysterious group known as the Hellfire Club have tapped their computer system and plan to ambush the X-Men and capture the new mutants for themselves. We then cut to Chicago where we meet Kitty, someday Kate, Pride. Kitty is coming home from school to find the white queen of the Hellfire Club, Emma Frost, in her living room discussing sending Kitty to Massachusetts Academy. Kitty immediately is freaked out by Emma and goes to her room complaining of a headache. While trying to sleep off the headache, Kitty phases through the floor for the first time and ends up in the living room. Now she's really freaked out. As Emma is leaving, Xavier and the X-Men arrive. Though she clearly turns him on, Wolverine still doesn't get a good vibe from Emma. Kitty meets the X-Men for the first time and thinks Peter is neat-looking. Despite it being 1980, Kitty then takes off to a goddamn malt shop with Storm, Colossus, and Wolverine while Xavier talks to her parents about his school. While at the malt shop, Kitty immediately tells Storm that she doesn't look like the black girls at her school, 
while Wolverine looks at porno mags with Colossus. That's when our heroes, that's right, guys, these are our heroes, are attacked by goons from the Hellfire Club. After getting slapped around a bit, Wolverine realizes that the suits the goons are wearing are specifically made to counter the X-Men's powers, so they all switch goons and win. Unfortunately, victory is short-lived because Emma Frost then sneaks up and telepathically attacks them. Luckily, Kitty was able to escape the malt shop before Emma arrived, because once Emma has more goons load the X-Men into their Hellfire-branded hovercraft, she blows the fucking place up. We end with Kitty sneaking onto the hovercraft right as it takes off. So... Quite a bit happens in this issue. Um, I have a lot of opinions. Whatever do you mean, Nick? Whatever do you mean? <laughs> but before we get to that, okay, here's my criticism I think would have made actually a slightly more surprising, better story. Jean is under the impression that she's her powers are making her slip through time, right? Correct. I think it would have been kind of cool if we as the reader didn't already know he was involved with the Hellfire Club and with Jean thought she was slipping through time so by the time they actually get to the hellfire club it's a bigger reveal that they're behind not just what you've been reading but also everything else happening with gene i hear you i hear right? you no so that's, that's one that's the one that i kept thinking that yeah it definitely would have been a, a another another shocking shocking moment but you, have, you have to remember have a... <laughs> this is yeah. 1980 they're fucking brains they can't handle this thing no they can handle two jets flying close enough <laughs> You can cause psychic problems. Truly insane. Truly insane. insane. Um, but yeah, I didn't know this would be the debut of Kitty. Um, also, oh, sorry, another favorite moment when Jamie's like in his head, I'm just a farm boy. I can't be an X-Men. Anyway, I'm going to stay on this Irish island. <laughs> yeah. Like what, dude, what are you talking about? It's... Did you mention you're a farm boy? <laughs> you're not going back to a farm. Yeah. So one of the things I want to, I want to point out and I, and I never, Okay, I have read the entirety of the Phoenix Saga, I don't know how many times, but multiple times in my life. To the point where, like, I I barely even look at the book when we're talking about them, and I'm referencing, like, panels, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, one thing I never fucking noticed and never have heard any fucking talk of, whenever Gene is pulled into the the lady Jean persona whenever she's like under that impression and like does that time slip. And then eventually when she becomes the black queen, she has a little mole on her fucking face. And then whenever yeah. she's regular Jean, she doesn't have that mole anymore. They never fucking noticed that until now. <laughs> Fair enough. So like, as we go through, I'm going to point it out a little bit. Cause I don't know if you were noticing it not or, or not, but like, I just, took it as part of the aesthetic you know yeah but like when she like when she actually turns into the black queen and she just is living that reality for a, a hot moment she uses the fucking phoenix force to give herself an actual <laughs> hey the brain's very powerful you know um also yes I, so i have a question for you i would love it I, we know how claremont felt about kirby and stanley's era did he yeah. just actively hate xavier oh god he he fucking hates them, dude. He fucking hates this him. issue more Every than any issue. of the ones before. <laughs> I mean, he because he takes Stan Lee's fucking like character who like in the fucking like Silver Age, whatever, doesn't 
come across that way because it's a different time. And he puts him in that modern era and he's a fucking prick. He's just an old man out of time. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, and, it, and it's, the way he talks to Cyclops, I'm like, oh, it's a psychic trick. No, it's no, just him. He's just a fucking prick. Too wild. I'm sorry, I, I really stressed that P, and I probably just blew out everybody's headphones if you're listening to our headphones, and I apologize for that. But Jesus Christ, he's an absolute monster. Just this orphan child that he took in. Let's not forget, this is your boy Cyclops. His, yeah. He was an orphan. He had and, like, no family. down to him so hard. Oh, like, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And then later, like all he ever does is seek Xavier's approval to this yes. fucking day. This book continuously pushes my idea that like, oh yeah, Cyclops is way better when he's by himself. Yeah. Without any of the people that held him back as a kid, he needed them as a kid. He needed Xavier. He needed Gene. But him by himself is totally fucking different. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's it's um, I, there's when people do good character work on Cyclops, he is absolutely one of the best fucking X Men characters. Yeah, Matt Fraction especially had did a great job when he wrote him. But um, when people like like the X Men animated show or yeah. other places get him, he's a he's fucking, a Boy Scout. Like, he's a goddamn cardboard, like yeah. just flat as cardboard. You know what I mean? Uh, I love that Emma's first line is "As you say, Shaw." Like Emma now would slap that. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we've retconned so much that we now know she was like being like forced to work there and all that. It's crazy how much shit has happened. Um, I I do. I do do love that, like within that first interaction between Kitty and and Emma, given their relationship now, you know, the first thing she says to her is like, I think we're going to be great friends. And then like the and especially given their weird ass relationship now, I love that the fucking line Kitty says. It's so fucking weird. It makes everything so weird. It's fucking... funny that she immediately notices Colossus. And it's like, oh, they almost got married a few years back. Yeah, yeah. And again, he's like probably like 17 or 18 or something like that. And she's like 13 and a half. She's she supposed to be out. 13. And, in and a half, canon, motherfucker. 13 and a half. As she Thank states. you. But now in current timeline has a interesting relationship with Emma almost married peter <laughs> she's definitely like, i would say in sorry. our timeline in our shifting timeline she's probably in her like early 20s at this point right yeah i'd say early mid 20s yeah, yeah. that's how i always take it and um, emma, and like in my world emma gene scott all like all that like that kind of crew they're like in their like early 30s now in in the in the shifting timeline in my head like late 20s early 30s i put them in mid 30s yeah they're getting uh, closer to it, but like, they're st- their back's not hurting enough to be that mid thirty yet. You know what I mean? They got to still yeah. be on that side of it. They may be mutants, but come on now. I guess we look at like Tony Stark is probably forty kind of thing. Tony Stark is definitely like early forties at this point. I would say, and that's t- honestly, I think they might have aged him down. He's probably like in his like late thirties now. Think so? Yeah. yeah. Also, um, the art. The way they draw Kitty is interesting because they don't really draw her like that at all anymore. No. Like the way she has like kind of just like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like a, I mean, it's in a good way, like a thumb face. Child's face. A child. She's drawn like a child though. Like, like that's just a child. Which is not something that we can really, not many artists do these days. You know know what? She looks like a child drawn in a 70s cartoon. In a schoolhouse rock. 
like oh yeah 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 kind of cartoon that's what she yeah. looks like yeah she does um, like when jubilee like think back to like the 1990s and like jubilee she was this age yeah and she was drawn like she was like a fucking action hero like muscles <laughs> and all kinds of crazy shit it's like what is no fucking 13 or to 15 year old looks like that you're out of your mind i feel like they Eat never those chili fries no way <laughs> they never use these suits again because like we know the hellfire guard look like we've seen it in other media over time these like generic not iron man suits <laughs> yeah i feel like we'd never see them again also i do want to i do want to talk about something like every everything this hellfire like it, a big theme throughout the dark phoenix saga and especially this hellfire portion of it is just straight up horniness yes like claremont is taking this like kid superhero book and just making it quietly one of the like a so a horny soap opera uh, in the marvel universe and it's fucking like everything they dress as every like honestly like, well, all we always say it's nothing new to anybody who's reading, but like the goons the goons come crashing in to the the malt shop by the way the fucking they are kind of gimpy but also look at the shape of those fucking guns like 291 in your textbook those are straight up dicks <laughs> they made their guns into giant dicks that's one way to look at it and, and it's how no there's no world in which i'm gonna look at it again <laughs> Um, yeah, the suits are a little gimpy. And if I'm a kid in the seventies or late early eighties reading this book and I see Emma Frost, like what's the villain going to look like underwear corset? Cape. She's going to look like a dominatrix. Yeah. You don't know what that is yet, kid, but like, here's Emma. <laughs> yeah. Like Jesus Christ. No wonder we all grew up the way we did reading X-Men comics. And I do like the slow progression of them understanding who Wolverine is. Yeah, 100%. And I feel like it capitalizes on that issue where he's escaping and killing everyone. Yeah, that's well we'll talk about that one. Yeah. But I feel like that's um, like that's when they realized who the character was. That's yeah. And that's around I mean the narrator will tell us a little bit. Um yeah. I do I, I don't want to move too much further but besides, yeah. besides pointing out Wolverine Back to 291. So much happens on 291. <laughs> Wolverine is legitimately reading a penthouse magazine and then going Playboy. to pick up like a oh, Playboy. Yeah. No, penthouse. It's penthouse. Playboy. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then going to get a Playboy while just hanging out with like 17, 18 year old fucking Peter. What Rasmussen. kind of place is this? Also, what kind of malt shop has porno mags hanging around? Right? The adults got to do something. And he's just hanging out. The dude is like, hey, you can't really read that here without paying for it. Wolverine's like, I'm going to beat the shit out of you now. Like, I'm going to beat my dick and then beat the shit out of you. I'm going to fucking just, what the fuck? This, this is our team. This is our heroes. <laughs> like someone goes, he's Canadian. I'm sorry. And poor fucking Peter's like, oh my God. I just am so embarrassed. This man is just. His dick is out. He's trying to beat this guy. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Why did I leave Russia to come into this? Well, this does continue. I think it evolves the trend, but it does still continue the trend of we're going to a place. We've been attacked. <laughs> like, That's all that. <laughs> that is the Claremont run for like a, the first several years of just the X-Men really step foot somewhere 
and they are immediately attacked. Like, they actually can't go anywhere so far they since can't. I've been reading without eventually being attacked. Not they like, can't. he went I here, mean, went back home. The premise, I mean, it's not, It's it happens in Claremont, he starts it, but like, the pre- like, what happens every time they go to the mall? What is the very first episode <laughs> of the goddamn X-Men animated series? You know what I mean? Like, they can't even go fucking shopping without being like, oh, cool, a giant robot that wants to kill me and my entire people. Cool. All right. I can magically change my clothes now. Let's fight. <laughs> but yeah, like, I like the characterization of Kitty. Like, from we like, you're kind of seeing it through her eyes of this innocent teenage girl. This, like, wow, these weird people are all here. And then, interesting reaction to Storm. <laughs> Kitty being Kitty. Kitty um, being Kitty, you know. It feels innocent because it's coming from a kid, but then you remember it's written by an adult. And then you remember who's right exactly. Yes. Uh-huh. Well, we'll get um, to slave talk later. <laughs> oh boy, do we have to? <laughs> we must. Yeah. We must. Yeah. Th- those those are my uh, main observations from this. Yeah, episode. I think that's pretty much what I got here too. <laughs> I think I think we, I, I think for the sake of of all that's dazzling in this world, we got to move on. Oh yeah. Oh, also one last thing. Actually, I do love the. Um, I do love the. It's a ray beam that just takes away the power. Don't worry about it. They're knocked out. Don't. Hey, just why are you asking questions, man? Yeah, yeah. And this we're going to not... be in a cage later where it also just vaguely takes away their power. Oh, come on, man. No, you're taking all the fun out of it. <laughs> that, that's true. That's true. Let's kick it off with issue one, three, zero. Scott, Gene, and Kurt arrive in Manhattan searching for the other new mutant that Cerebro found. Cyclops's Cerebro Apple Watch has led them to a disco club that Scott describes as the place where disco goes to die. Kurt waits outside to keep an eye on the car, while Scott and Jean head in to look for the new mutant. All the while, they are being watched by the Hellfire Club from a nearby moving van. Listen, a lot is happening here. Meanwhile, back in Chicago, Emma Frost and the Hellfire Club are torturing slash experimenting on Xavier, Storm, Colossus, and Wolverine. Everyone but Charles is stripped naked and being kept in cages. Charles finds himself fully clothed but strapped to a table. They went ahead and strapped his legs, too. Always going that extra mile, Hellfire Club. While Emma and Sebastian Shaw discuss their evil plans via Zoom... Kitty sneaks in to attempt to help the X-Men. She sneaks over to Storm's cage, and Storm tears a piece of fabric from her fucking underwear that has an emergency contact number and hands it to Kitty. The Hellfire goons see this too late, and Kitty gets away. Back in Manhattan, Jean and Scott are searching the club for the new mutant when Jean runs into Jason Wingard. Fucking Jason Wingard. Wingard draws Jean into another illusion where she and Jason are getting married. Sebastian Shaw is their priest, too. Once they say their I do's, Jean rips off her robe to reveal the Black Queen outfit. She and Jason then kiss as Scott wakes up. The illusion drops and Jean is confused and chases after Scott. Right then, the main musical act takes the stage and Scott's mutant detecting watch starts going crazy. Then, for the first time in X-Men history, Dazzler takes the stage. As Dazzler is giving everyone the light show of their lives, Kitty calls the emergency phone in the car Scott, Jean, and Nightcrawler took. 
Nightcrawler answers, and Kitty quickly explains what happened. Right then and there, Nightcrawler is attacked by the Hellfire Club. The goons also attack the Disco at the same time. Like before, the goons are prepared for the X-Men's powers, but not for Dazzler. The X-Men are able to defeat Hellfire Club goons and escape with Dazzler. As they drive away, Scott sees Jason Wingard standing outside, and a deep dread washes over him. Okay, so, few notes. This is a more, I think, straightforward issue, but it is really fun, because I'm not used to seeing the X-Men, like, in a club. Thank you. My very first note... Scott and Gene are in their early 20s and they act like such fucking old fucking ass motherfuckers. And it's like, oh, gee, this place is so dirty. You've clearly walked into a sex club disco. You're in yeah. your fucking early 20s. You guys are clearly the best fucking looking ones there. Yeah. Dude, have fun. <laughs> like, Just saying, take advantage of those situations when you're in it. So uh, we also have Alice Cooper at this party. Yeah, why not? That's, I'm, I'm assuming it's supposed to be Alice Cooper. Honestly, probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Dazzler. Like, that was another surprise. I had no clue Dazzler debuted in this storyline. <laughs> and, and I didn't know that. Like, I've seen figures of that outfit. I didn't know that was her debut outfit. That was her That was her debut outfit. I thought and it was then... the blue jumpsuit with the bandana. No, that came, that, came, that came later. Yeah, that came when she actually joins the X-Men, I think. Because I think yeah, she I'll... still wears this outfit when... Because there's... Shortly after this, there's like a Dazzler miniseries... And I think she's still mainly in this incredible disco skate outfit. At some point, I don't know if it's this issue or not. I might have missed it in this one. She's straight up in roller skates. Yes. I don't know. If, <clears throat> also, I don't know if it was this issue. but I yeah, think I it think might be the next one we next see. Issue, it in its yeah. But speaking of outfits, the MC that introduces Dazzler on, on 307, mm. their outfit's fucking killing it, too. <laughs> But like I love oh, yeah, that it's, it's, good. it's sticking in the, like the blue and yellow like X Men theme too. <laughs> yeah, it kind of looks like um, Prodigy. No like shit, a, disco, a little bit. Like a disco yeah. version of Prodigy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I fucking, I, I saw that outfit. I'm like, that is like the only outfit in this book that like still looks like it works today. <laughs> <laughs> well, like okay, uh, so, other than the Black Queen outfit, obviously. Of course, but that's yeah, very that's, cash. That's but that's for 100 percent different reasons. Yes. Um. So like. I feel like these guys were not as well prepared as the ones who attacked the other X-Men. Because they, like, they were already... For... What was that? They weren't prepared for goddamn Dazzler is what they weren't prepared for. They, they were got... for Dazzler, Phoenix, and to me, even Nightcrawler. They were barely prepared for. Well, they gave them the little zappy zappy with the sound. They weren't prepared. Listen to yourself. They weren't prepared for the Phoenix. Who the fuck is? <laughs> who the fuck is? How do like, you prepare like... for that cosmic force? Listen to yeah. yourself. I do love that, um, like you said, Storm just had that paper in her. Like, Dude. oh, they took the pin out of my hair, but they didn't take this thing. They didn't. She just had stitched in, assumed, the emergency contact number that rings to, like, a phone in a car in 1980. Like, Xavier is the richest man in the world. <laughs> Also, it feels like I'm trying to see if there's a different picture, a different angle, but it looks like okay, we're gonna ki- we're gonna keep um Colossus's underwear on. We're gonna let Storm be in her undies. Wolverine, your hairy ass needs to be naked. All I will say is 
from what I've understood in, in, in listening to the talk of the history of the X-Men, John Byrne loved drawing Wolverine and John Byrne is a big reason why Wolverine becomes such a prominent character uh, here going forward. So you can only assume that John Byrne wanted to draw him naked because he liked yep. drawing the hair. Maybe. I don't know. Like obviously, obviously like drawing the hair. whatever, what John Byrne just wants to draw naked people. And this was his opportunity to do so. Like, if nothing else, like, he is, he is trying his best to keep, like, to take clothes off of these people. Um. Also, putting like rubber goop over someone's head is a weakness for anyone who needs air. Like, it's not a special way to stop a laser eyes guy. It's it's a good way to stop anyone. Look at you, man, being a being a, no fun again. Oh, fuddy duddy over there. <laughs> Just put him in that cage that vaguely takes away your powers and makes you dizzy. <laughs> but I do like all okay, so all like silliness aside though, like the shit with Jason Wingard just coming Dude. into this club, like <laughs> forcing Gene to kiss him. Yes. It, making him think that they are, are married now, fucking destroying poor Cyclops' heart right there on the disco. And then before it's immediately mended by Dazzler. <laughs> But also, he just had to move on from it. He had to be like, I went to a club on a mission. My girlfriend ended up kissing some random man, and I need to focus on the mission still. He is, Scott is never not compartmentalizing. <laughs> <laughs> that is all. I mean, frankly, that's why Scott's powers are the way they are, is because all he's doing is compartmentalizing. Yes. But, like, 100%, like, the gaslighting and the abuse that Gene is going through and then vicariously like the abuse that scott is going through both from his surrogate father and what is happening to his relationship that he's too emotionally unavailable to ask hey is this a fucking relationship what's going on here yes like it it's insane the the amount of fucking drama that is baked into this shit is well, fucking in, in this short time alone he has dealt with his brother trying to kill him inexplicably. He dealt with his girlfriend dying and then being reborn as a fiery goddess. He had to go to space and maybe met his dad. I don't think he knows that yet. But if you remember my tale, he once saw himself with just a mustache and thought, <laughs> oh, I look like that handsome space pirate. So that's not <laughs> that's sad. A... So he did that, whatever that and is. Let's count that then as four. Then got talked down to like a child from Xavier. That is Brutally. that is putting it lightly. Oh, I, that I showed to Jess when I was reading. I was just like, "What is happening? Why is he, he so evil in this moment?" He just <laughs> beats the shit out of him with his hurtful words. Yeah, and then now has to see his girlfriend inexplicably make out with some random guy while your mission is to find a mutant in this club that he is clearly not comfortable in. <laughs> but look, exactly, and and to that point too, to my to, to my like. I've never noticed it before, but look at three on page three hundred six in that panel where she's getting where they're getting married and she's kissing Jason Wingard in the eighteenth century. She has a mole on her face. <laughs> when we cut back to reality and she's like, "Wait, where am I? What's happening right now?" She no longer has a mole on her fucking face. Yes, it's crazy. Did you see that? Like as you were just reading it, I like I said before, like we were just talking about like the mole. I just took it as an aesthetic thing, like a hair bun, you know. But you, but you okay but like did it like you did you notice that like it was every time she was the black queen though like vague like it was there i just didn't think about it too much and then like, i noticed it 
so like we see it right but then when she's the black queen in reality she get like the phoenix like she is so powerful in the phoenix force that she l gives herself the mole in I'm fucking reality by that. I, that's if crazy she can give herself god powers a mole is pretty i know pretty but it's just in like i'm just from the from the mental health aspect of it all is sure. what i'm trying to point at like the the idea that she is like oh what does like, the mole mean to you sir what it means to me is she's li it's literally another person in her mind she's like just yes. she's yeah. become this other personality that is so much so powerful that there's just a slight little difference <laughs> a bun and a mole it's incredible yeah any more notes from you on this no nah, i don't think that i think that's it all right let's get on to 131 we open in Chicago with Kitty running for her life from the Hellfire goons. As they close in on Kitty, Phoenix appears out of nowhere and destroys the car the goons are in. Nightcrawler bamps in to rescue Kitty and Cyclops and Dazzler come running in to join the fight. Cyclops sees the car and the damage and freaks out. Jean tells Scott that these animals got no more than they deserved. Gene, Scott, and Dazzler then join Nightcrawler on the nearby roof where he took Kitty. When they get there, Kitty is gone. Kurt says she disappeared through the ceiling and ran away. As the only normal-looking one, Scott sends Gene to talk to Kitty and calm her down. Once Gene has calmed Kitty down, they take the Hellfire goons back to their hovercraft, and Gene reads their mind to figure out what the fuck is happening. Jean learns the name Hellfire Club from their thoughts and freaks out because she's been having those visions and whatnot. What could it all mean? They then devise a plan to sneak into the place where the Hellfire Club is holding the rest of the X-Men. Jean mind controls one of the goons into driving to the complex while she, Scott, Dazzler, and Nightcrawler pretend to be knocked out and held captive in the back seat. Meanwhile, Kitty puts on a spare Fantastic Four costume, one of many costumes she'll have over the next decade, and sneaks into the complex. She manages to open the cage Wolverine is in, but before she can reach Colossus, she's shot by one of the goons. At the same time, the other X-Men stop playing possum and attack the Hellfire Club as well. The X-Men and the Hellfire Club begin to fight, but more importantly, we get some top-notch booty shots, courtesy of John Byrne. Anyway, as Scott, Nightcrawler, and Dazzler launch their assault, Jean takes off to find Storm and Emma. Eventually, Wolverine, Colossus, and Kitty meet up with Cyclops, Nightcrawler, and Dazzler, only to discover that no one knows where Jean or Storm are. Cut to our first ever Jean versus Emma scene. As Jean and Emma are engaged in an epic battle, Storm watches on in a bit of horror as she witnesses Jean give in to her bloodlust and ultimately annihilate Emma in a fiery Phoenix Force explosion. Jean and Storm then emerge from the wreckage and together with Professor X leave to return Kitty to her family. When the X-Men arrive back at the Pride residence, her parents are naturally pretty pissed off about their daughter going missing. But that's okay, because Jean just telepathically makes them both change their minds and agree to send Kitty to Xavier's school. Yikes! We end with Scott and Storm discussing their concern about Jean and her wild-ass behavior. 
All right. This is kind of like the finale of this portion of the story, and I really liked it. Um, there's a lot of great artwork, I think, particularly in this issue. Yeah. And I you. feel like when I had my pacing complaints earlier in this in this storyline, like I've liked the way these like last three issues have been paced and like have been told and little art things that you don't see often and we're used to it now. Like Nightcrawler bamfing and attacking three people at once. Yeah, that's definitely one of the first times of that. I think I think something similar. Like, I think no, I think this is one of the very first times we've seen it like that many times. Well, it's like a unique middle ground because like we're used to the henchmen being robots to be safe or monsters, but these are like humans in these weird gimp suits, and you know not to feel bad for them because they're being paid by these terrible people. Also, we didn't talk about in that first issue. Uh, where Emma just like blows them up. Yeah, she's and she's, she's like, I paid for them and they failed. I guess they're done. <laughs> yeah, and she says that to other people who are she she's currently paying. So yeah, like good incentive for them to to be cool. The other thing about this, though, like every like they all have name like they call each other individual names too. So yes. like they beat the shit, but like Claremont goes and gives every one of them a fucking name before he got goddamn murders them. <laughs> um also when it comes to artwork um great two panels on 325 of booty shot of phoenix and then like this maniacal Terrifying. evil angry face <laughs> truly two of the greatest panels john byrne has ever given us like <laughs> such a terrifying phoenix and just that top-notch booty as the narrator said going on there and yeah. like just the implication that this panel then carries with it all these years, like all these years later when Scott and Emma, like just like the weird, like way she's standing there looking at Emma, like the shipping of Emma and Jean kind of can begin here too, if you will. Well, didn't, didn't Emma do a similar pose in new X-Men when she Probably. was, I think she was being Jean and Scott's head. Oh, maybe I, I she was like leaning on the wall in a very similar pose. True. Yeah. It's been a minute since I've, I've read it. I've got the, the omnibus i should i should check it i should get yeah i do want to i think down the line when we talk about later we'll go to some new x-men stuff because grant morrison's not a piece of shit so uh they never were no no they never were no um Um, this is the issue also where dazzler is on her rollerblades while while cyclops is shooting people she's on her rollerblades shooting people with her hands like beautiful stuff like First of all, not trained in any way. Never did any danger room exercises. Very go with the flow. Very Just go straight with the up. Flow. Like I've got these roller skates, and I can make light into little explosions. I'm in. Tell me where to go. Point me in the direction. That's all I need to know. Let's do this. Disco. Uh, Just go. Also, to the disco. Gene, or no, sorry, Kitty. Just being like. If I just phase through the lock, oh, thank God it worked. <laughs> like no that's real because, explanation. That's because, as you will come to learn, as as we began to read more classic X-Men stuff, Kitty Pride is a goddamn genius. And Chris Claremont <laughs> is Kitty. Like he loves Kitty Pride. Like he that's his like surrogate character. Like he she becomes like your she's basically our generation like our generation's Jubilee. Yeah. And uh, I, I realized her. a lot of creators that will make something like in, in a lot of different genres, they usually pick some way to have a daughter. Right. Like <laughs> Star Wars, Dave Filoni made Ahsoka. That's his baby. That's his thing. And it's grown to this whole big character, which is fantastic. But like it started out as his pet project. Like 
every writer likes to just have that one character that's like, this is my baby and no one can touch them. Sure. I definitely feel like Kitty was that at this time. Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, her power is just, you know, solving issues inexplicably. Fantastic. We 100%. got Harry Wolverine, like extra Harry. Um, can yeah. you explain to me real quick difference between Dazzler and Jubilee's powers? Yes. Jubilee just makes fireworks where Dazzler turns sound into um, like light explosions. Okay. All right. Thank you for asking. One hundred percent can do that. Oh yeah, the artwork. Like we're used to having psychic battles in like this astral plane or maybe like pink energy. This is like here's a bird claw grabbing Emma. <laughs> I love when they do the bird claw. It's so fucking cool. They do it again like later on as we'll as we'll see. But like it's so I love when she's just straight up like. Yep, bird power. Bird firepower, blow up the entire mansion. And also, like, Emma has a look on her face of, like, I wasn't ready for this. I thought we were doing a psychic battle, not a bird fire battle. And she's like, well, this ain't psychic shit. This is Phoenix. Ah! And then she's straight up. So, like, they say in here that she gets, like, killed. Um, But later we we learn that she's yeah. like just in a coma or whatever forever, like for a long ass time. But this is it. This is it for, like, a few years for Emma. <laughs> wild I especially for such a big character now also it was funny i was reading this issue while jess was actually reading uh gene gray number one and it's funny how they connect with gene using their powers in a way no one approved of on kitty's parents because mm-hmm. like all of x of gene gray one is her progressively overusing her powers and nothing to do with the phoenix it was just gene being like i'm taking the fast way that's what i'm saying that like that is gene man and that's like one of the things I I like about what has been done, especially by people like Louise Simonson and um, Chris Claremont, it, it, we make Gene a flawed character. Like we have so many male flawed heroes, like it's okay for for Gene to be that too. And like I I love it. I love that she's just like, no, I I know what's best for everyone, and I'm like that's that's the end of that. The end. Like. <laughs> So yeah, it was a fun parallel reading that and then remembering what Jess is reading of just that was just like, all right, cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. And some of the like character work that for like Jean too that goes on is like this. She makes this like first impression on Kitty that like in the storyline, like cause she's like Kitty is fucking freaked out. Like some demon just bamped her onto a goddamn rooftop you know what i mean like this i did like how she was freaked out like what are you like we talked we talked we talked (laughs) she is freaked out and like gene like goes into her like first of all scott's like you're the only normal one looking here first of all everyone there but kurt looks pretty normal (laughs) like yeah everyone (laughs) you wear glasses scott like come on chill the fuck out (laughs) i'm pretty sure peter because she didn't see Peter. Peter wasn't seat. there. Peter wasn't on the rooftop. It was oh, on, the, on the rooftop. Yeah. yeah, they, all was, look, yeah they all look normal. Yeah. yeah. Like it's just like, all right. I appreciate maybe what you do. You're going for there. But like, Jesus Christ, man, like anyone could have done. But like Jean like changes into like more of like a normal looking clothes. And she goes down to comfort for Kitty. And like at the spoiler alert for this incredibly old story. But like <laughs> Jean, when Jean dies, Kitty becomes what? I know I'm shocker. Uh, Kitty be like Kitty, like like romanticizes Jean. Like she become Jean becomes like her pinnacle of like right up there with Storm of like 
what a what a beautiful woman looks like what a strong person looks she's also terrified of gene because she like she goes through a lot in a short amount of time yeah Yeah. like but she she only gets to see this clip of gene because then she goes back and stays with her parents and she doesn't come back to the x-men until gene is dead so like she gets this like beautiful view of like the and then just learns that gene makes the sacrifice so she just like worships gene and like i love when people remember that she fucking worships gene they recently <laughs> did it i think in one of the immortal x-men ones like where like kitty was saying something like well i mean if gene says it's good then i you know like that's it um so in the next issue and what we see in the future like this is a nice ending point but also like you realize this is the only the beginning of like gene getting darker yeah. in this context mm-hmm. you're like okay gene just wiped out this other established powerful psychic and now she just forced this family to feel what they didn't feel before and it's like all and right no and then also it about either question how powerful jason is because he's still slowly controlling her yeah but you you also have to wonder how like a lot of that like probably 99.9 percent of that is the phoenix force also like having like gene is she's in such like the subtext of the story here is gene is in such like an emotionally raw state that she's being taken advantage of and used by this person in a world in which she never would otherwise but it, he's only like mastermind is not powerful he's just lucky that gene is currently as fucking on to use and no way do i mean this derogatory but she's unstable right now and it's yeah so sure. am i frankly if i'm being honest like but you know what i mean like <laughs> like and that's the only reason mastermind's able to pull this shit off like yeah. it's not anything and when we later learn how he does it telepathically it ain't it ain't emma either you know what i mean like yeah. it's gene just accepting being, yeah exactly giving in not to being the there desires. enough to just stop them with a snap of her fingers yeah um ready for next issue uh yeah i just do want to like to, to finish that off though like the concern oh, that i love the concern that we're seeing from storm and gene too like especially storm storm is always the first one that's like that's not my best friend slash girlfriend i don't know who that what's going on with that shit, but i don't she's be, being weird well it's shown more in um god loves man kills but it's always that moment of like storm and cyclops are like on this equal soon to be leadership playing field and they both kind of notice like huh that's uh yeah and they're both in love with gene so yeah to a degree yes of course um the next issue i actually have this issue since its debut of sebastian shaw i own this issue nice (laughs) nice this what an issue to own yeah all right so let's kick it off Welcome to the issue that forever turns the X-Men's horniness level all the way up to 11. We open at Angel's Eerie, where Warren Worthington III descends from the heaven with his titties on full display to greet his friends, the X-Men. Scott has brought the X-Men to Angel's New Mexico chalet in order to regroup and talk to his old friend about life. Warren greets his friends and immediately kisses Jean dead on the lips as Warren's current girlfriend, Candy Southern, saunters out. Also, full tits on display. We told you folks, Claremont ain't hiding it anymore. Scott tells Warren that he'd like to speak to him in private, so Angel swoops Scott up and flies him off to a distant cliff. 
Now that Scott and Warren are alone, Scott tells him about the Hellfire Club and how they seem to know everything about the X-Men. Warren tells Scott that the Hellfire Club is just some freaky-ass rich people club that he and Candy have memberships for. Scott then starts talking to Warren about Jean, who, when who should arrive but Jean Grey herself. Jean tells them they've been taking uh, talking for too long and it's time to take a break. Angel gets the hint and leaves Scott and Jean alone on the top of the cliff. As Jean sets up a picnic for her and Scott, she uses her powers to change her clothes and Scott thinks to himself about how powerful she's become. That's when Jean reaches over and lifts Scott's visor. Scott freaks out, but Jean says, hey, relax. She's going to use her powers to hold back his optic beams. She just wants to look at his face. Scott and Jean then 1,000% fuck on top of the cliff. (laughs) Weeks go by as the X-Men hang out with Angel coming up with their next move against the Hellfire Club. Then we cut to Manhattan where we see Wolverine and Nightcrawler sneaking through the sewers below the Hellfire Club while Storm, Colossus, Jean, and Scott all walk into the club as they host a small gala. Obviously, the inner circle of the Hellfire Club recognizes the X-Men immediately and goes into action. Jason fucking Wingard cuts in as Scott and Jean are dancing and pulls Jean into another goddamn illusion. Scott sulks in the corner, but we learn that Jean has told Scott about these visions and Jason Wingard. Jason begins to lead Jean away up the stairs, but that's when Scott's had enough. He begins to follow them and catches a glimpse of the real Jason Wingard and finally sees that it's been mastermind all along. (gasps) Scott loses them for a moment when they go up the stairs, but quickly finds them again as Jean is now in full Black Queen garb and unleashes a Phoenix Blast. Scott is knocked out immediately, and not just by Jean's outfit. Storm and Colossus hear Scott scream and rush to his aid, but Nick's topless boyfriend, Sebastian Shaw, is waiting for them. Colossus and Storm quickly find out that Shaw's powers are as they they are thrown around like rag dolls. Meanwhile, Nightcrawler and Wolverine are ambushed by Donald Pierce and Harry Leland. Despite getting his robot arm cut off, Pierce is able to capture Nightcrawler and Leland uses his powers to push Wolverine through the floor and down into the sewers. With all the X-Men minus Wolverine captured, the Hellfire Club regroups and toasts their new Black Queen, Jean motherfucking Grey. Ladies and gentlemen, this is one of the best X-Men issues ever. First note on my page here, one of the most iconic issues in history. Imagine you've never heard this story before, and this is the second X-Men film. And in the middle of the film, these heroes get fucking dominated by this group. It would be one of the coolest things you ever saw, a.k.a. when I first saw it in the animated series. (laughs) Oh, nice, nice, nice. That's when I fell in love with Sebastian Shaw, and this comic puts that even into a cooler perspective of like we've seen colossus destroy this like other realmly creature and Mm -hmm. then he's getting swung around like a bitch by sebastian (laughs) 
We've okay. seen Storm destroy a sentinel with lightning in the sky and get swung around like a bitch by Sebastian. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen Wolverine do all this great shit and get pushed into the sewer through a building by Henry. Of They're no match for the inner circle. Love it. And Love on top of that, their best friend, some of their love interests just turned against them. And she's yeah. not like she's turned against them. And oh, by the way, she's way more powerful than all of you combined. So good the fuck luck. I mean, good that she didn't kill Cyclops when she blasted him. Which yeah. makes you gotta wonder how much control much contr- yeah. how much control is where where is the level of control there, Gene? Where who's um and maybe poss- possibly ending with the first true iconic panel for Wolverine. Like, yeah, this felt like Todd McFarlane a little bit. I mean, that this is last like, panel. yeah, I mean, that's like that is straight up the inking, the all of it. Like, that that feels like the genesis of what would later become so prevalent in the 90s, yeah. And the shiny claws and the grittiness mm-hmm. of it, and the way the water's splashing on him. Like, but you can see this is like John Byrne being like, I fucking love this character. Like, he fucking, that's him like, going, nailed it. Figure it out like now. <laughs> look at like look at the attention the detail he puts on anything else he's just like all right i'll put some titties here some hair here but for wolverine i'm gonna sit in here i'm gonna draw every one of his arm hairs i'm gonna put the shininess on like he really gets into his wolverine drawing he does um but yeah sebastian throwing everyone around like there were nothing and then realizing that like because even as a kid that idea of like if i punch this person he's just getting stronger like we'll get to it when we get to the animated series, but I think Beast only beat him by like countering his force with like his feet by spinning him. It was a weird like scientific way of like. Ooh, I, I mean, force. don't they? I don't. Uh, Nightcrawler does that. Yes, they do a on, Beast yeah. in the show. Yeah, that makes sense. Can um, you? You're a big. You're a, you're a big fan of this character. You own the issue for fuck's sake. I do. Yeah. Um, why did he have to take his top off for this? The fact that you feel you have to ask that question. Oh, I feel like you should tell us why. Why is why is he got to do it? <laughs> because why, it's why? the right thing to do in that moment. It if is, he did it in his right. 18th century suit and mess up his suit, you're right. what does that accomplish? You're right. And he wanted to make sure everybody saw how barrel-chested he was. Yeah. And that from time to time he has chest hair. And then in other panels, no chest hair. <laughs> also true. part of his powers. <laughs> also part true. of his powers. There are times the chest hair seems to disappear. Um, it's part of his powers, you know, when he's absorbing energy. Oh, uh, you know, he sense. actually loses hair because he's pulling in energy. That makes you know? so much sense. That's what happens to me when sometimes. You... I pull in energy and my top of my head just gets like less hair. I, the fact, it's talk about questions I even had to bother to ask. Um, yeah, yeah no, that, that makes so much sense. Um, um, also, Angel's definitely that guy who did some questionable things when he was part of a fraternity. But see, here's what I love about this version of angel though. Like he's like, he's just, ha- he's just f- fun loving right now. You oh know no, he-, he hasn't had that terrible incident in his life yet <laughs> where everything changes, including his character. Oh no, no. Oh yeah. Well that's <laughs> yes. That's <laughs> the, the fact that some people like that was like, this is a much better angel. I like this angel better. Like he's a bit rapey. He's a bit like, he roofied a girl about? in college one time. Oh, because he kissed Gene on the lips? But the way he did it, it's like, Gene, my old friend. Oh, oh, well, first oh, of all, oh, they did, first of all. Hey, you nerd, Scott. 
First of all, yeah, that's part of the. They're all friends. They all dated. They, actually, these two did have like a little fling in the. Oh, I can't believe I'm alone on this. You think this is rape? Oh, wow. Clearly, Jean grab wants the, it. Grab the chin and fall in. Like, look at Jean's face. She's loving it, especially you know, especially after what happened. What happened to Scott that they haven't talked about already at the party? At the Scott disco doesn't give it. a shit. Scott's like, first of all, he also just scoops Scott up like a little child and takes them up to the clifftop where I'm saying. assuming they started making out. If you want to be yeah. honest, puts, like it definitely puts into perspective the current situation with Gene and Scott and Wolverine. Oh, 100%. <laughs> like they've always had this polyamorous thing going on. What, think... what did you just say mere moments ago? What volume did the horniness get turned up to with this issue? Like, oh, yeah. 11, that's baby. right, baby. That's right. <laughs> I mean, well, it's no, out of like... control. Like, I, I'm with you. Like, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if they did no, say like it... the dynamic, you can tell what their dynamic was when they were younger, when they were first students. Mm -hmm. And like Angel's like, oh, we must still have that dynamic. And Cyclops is like, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, like, honestly, he's taking it much better than the Jason stuff. Because they haven't even talked about why she kissed that guy in the club, and he's kind of just going with the flow and seeing what his girlfriend's into. He now. just started, like, he goes up to this fucking cliff in New Mexico and starts making out with his old friend, too. Like, they're all fucking, man. The implication <laughs> here, going forward, the implication here is every single Chris Claremont character is bisexual at best. Maybe, yes, like, I can get behind that. <laughs> like, and hey, you know my what? point exactly. Any every single member of the Hellfire Club gives off bisexual energy. They all do now. Yeah, like, Scott is clearly he's like I'd make out with Warren too. You know he would. They could have just gone to another room <laughs> if they wanted privacy. At any Scott and Jean <laughs> made out on the jet in front of Wolverine all the way fucking home just a couple issues ago. <laughs> like, like, and the jet is not that big. <laughs> no, that's my point. Like, they like everyone had to hear them just like sucking face the entire time. They were sitting like here toward the top of the plane, Wolverine with his little <laughs> pillow, and they were just standing in the little area behind the seats because a plane is a tube like they couldn't they didn't go anywhere else like they were just behind them you know what i mean uh, like wolverine just had to turn his head and be like oh they're still there's okay they're still doing that all right yep, i guess i just won't use the bathroom i'll just i actually do like how much mastermind looks like a severe creeper when he's not in this jason wingard form oh yeah because that was the old because mastermind is a stanley jack yes. kirby character i think like yeah so like yeah, he looks like that old. He and also he's old. He's creepy and he's old and he's fucking. He's the implication is he's legitimately raping Gene here. Yes, like they physically interact. You know what I mean? Like it's disgusting. Um, but yeah, like this issue is so great because it's a great way to introduce villains. Like remember when you first watch Infinity War and you meet Thanos, if you didn't already read the comics, know who he is. His first scene is beating the shit out of the Hulk with one hand and then yeah. choking Loki to death. Yep, that's true. Like that's how you do it. That's, that's how you how show you off these people. Like this group has been studying all of you. They've already beaten you almost fully twice. And now you're trying to break into their house and beat them, and they embarrass you. There's truly, and that's exactly the the hellfire. <laughs> um, 
but I do want one one more thing about foreshadowing that we can wrap up with the last issue. So the when he's talking to Angel in the scene that we just uh, heavily debated, <laughs> um, <laughs> when he's talking to Angel there, he tells him that Emma Frost, when he's doing the recap for new readers, he tells them that Emma Frost chose suicide over being killed by Jean, which is not what happened. <laughs> First and foremost, Jean <laughs> murdered her. We saw it happen on the page. Yes. Um, but it's like in my mind, it's foreshadowing to the editorial mandate of the heroes can't kill people. And if yeah. we, and if a hero kills somebody, we have to do something about that. So I can actually and tell can you a little about that. Because this would this would have been the eighties now, right? This is I think I think this is nineteen eighty, yeah. So in the 80s, a lot of cartoons had issues with villains killing the bad guy, and that spread out into comics also. And mm. that's when it became an issue of villains killing bad guys, and then a few years later, it was heroes dying. Like, we can't do that anymore. Like, whenever the uh, Transformers movie came out, the original movie, mm. when, when Optimus Prime died, it became mm. a whole thing because kids were literally crying. <laughs> Oh, interesting. Like, yeah. Yeah. And that spread out to like other cartoons where you can't replace these characters unless they're retiring or whatever. Fucking weak ass millennials, man. Like, yeah. Bambi gets shot on fuck Bambi's mom gets shot to death on screen and we all just have to live <laughs> with that. Dumbo came out what nineteen thirty something. Yeah. But you can't handle the eighties were like you listen, can't handle a robot death. car dying. Fucking weak ass <laughs> bitches. But yeah, I think that's like that was the part of that early 80s progression of like heroes can't do that yeah and this is also the the foreshadow i'm talking about like jim shooter is is now editing this and jim shooter is about to forever change x-men yeah. history just <laughs> against uh our heroes best designs and writers sometimes that's who i meant yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh no i finished that uh chris claremont special and mm -hmm. he is he talks about that. <laughs> yeah, in in the, I think there's there's some there's like an essay in this book too that we have to if you want to read before we do that the Dark Phoenix one. Oh, okay, cool. All right, so this gonna... fucking face when I said if there's an essay you want to read, <laughs> she almost just threw up all over herself. It's like oh. Oh, that's the most disgusting you thing. Mean out loud or to myself? <laughs> I thought you meant to myself. <laughs> no, I meant no. I was talking Nick to read to himself, not you to read. Yeah, out. yeah, that's, that's what I thought you meant. Yeah, not yeah, like no, but the face just made it. Just the idea of an essay, like, was just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, like, am I gonna read this fucking essay? Oh no, no, no! I did not intend for Jess to read the essay <laughs> to herself or out loud. You can do whatever you want. Homework? <laughs> no, Jess has no hope. Jess has one assignment. Like, and I literally in roll real up and read the script I've been handed, <laughs> which I. Think think speaks volumes to the like i couldn't do that on first take man so absolutely not and speaking of which Here let's hear the lovely voice for issue 133 take it away narrator if last issue gave us the start of the x-men being super horny this issue gives us the start of badass wolverine we open in the sewers below the Hellfire Club as the Hellfire mercenaries are looking for Wolverine. Unfortunately for them, he finds them first. Wolverine gets the drop on the goons and begins slicing and dicing his way through him. 
Finally, after a cool Clint Eastwood-esque standoff with the last goon, Wolverine makes his way back into the club. It doesn't take long for people to notice him, and he, he's quickly swarmed by guards. However, Wolverine doesn't want to kill these guards because he has some kind of code or something, so he beats them up and continues to make his way to his friends. Meanwhile, the rest of the X-Men are being held captive in the Hellfire Club library. Jason Wingard starts making out with Jean Grey in front of all the X-Men, and boy howdy are they confused. But their confusion and the plot is about to get so, so much worse. Jean turns to the X-Men, but because of Mastermind's illusion, she sees them all as 18th century people, but, you know, still being held captive. To make it so much worse, Jean sees Storm as a slave, and we're just going to leave that at that for now. So yeah, as Jean is being racist as fuck, we learn from Scott, see, this is why thought balloons are good, that after he and Jean boned on that cliff, she then took advantage of this state and created a permanent psychic bond with him. Scott, mustering all of his love and training, manages to use that bond to enter Jean's mind. On the astral plane, Scott finds himself dressed like a ship captain and is confronted by two large doors. Jean, dressed as the Black Queen, opens the doors and Scott tries to reason with her, but that's when Jason shows up as well. Scott is confused by how Mastermind can also be in Jean's mind, but he doesn't get a straight answer from him. Instead, Mastermind challenges him to a sword fight for the hand of Lady Jean Grey. Scott doesn't know how to sword fight and is quickly beaten. As Jason stabs Scott in the astral plane, Scott's body back in reality drops to the floor and all the X-Men freak out that he's mysteriously just died. Bum, bum, bum. Okay, before we... um continue on with the good and bad of this issue mm -hmm. um there is a panel on here that i am shocked i haven't seen like used online more often just for whatever purpose okay. but um gene smacking storm saying i own you <laughs> is mm -hmm. a interesting panel um yeah and also <laughs> when she calls her her slave the mm -hmm. look on storm's face of slave <laughs> <laughs> she is in just pure horror and shock. Like, yeah. and I and who could blame her? Yeah. Um, uh, also, I don't get why anyone's shocked that Cyclops fell on the floor since his face is covered and sealed tight and only his ears are sticking out. He just suffocated, he, right? <laughs> I, Again, I don't know. Of course, this is the device the Hellfire Club puts him in. But this like, is this is a way of, to stop laser eyes. This is a way to stop life. This is one of the most fucking whatever bondage fucking shit I have ever. Like, <laughs> this is insane. This is an insane thing to put somebody in. I have seen people in things like this, and they like it. But like, there's also air holes. They don't think about these things. They don't think about the air holes. No. They don't think about the air holes. Those aren't never mind. Um so also this is like is it what, what was it the red hood or like like It kind of looks like red hood. It also looks like the helmet should be like backwards. 
Yeah. <laughs> right? I, th- I think it might be. I think that's right? the problem. <laughs> I think they took a regular helmet and just put it on him backwards. This would work and just plopped this, it on his face. This will be fine. <laughs> also, the fact that they do, they have a collar on him. Suppress, like, don't they? Weren't they suppressing the other one's powers? Why can't they just do that to him? That's not fun. One, that's exactly the reason. Because part of this, part of the fun is torturing Scott Summers. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, another a fun, fun for the most part, problematic in other parts. Um, it's, it's one of really those things you go, I get it, it's the 80s, but like, did you have to say she was a slave? She couldn't just be a person from the past? <laughs> like, the what I... There's nothing else they she could have been. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It was like, what else would they like? Like if, now we have to be realistic. First, exactly. Yes, laser eyes here, but sure, like <laughs> claw man here. Um, well, we gotta keep her a slave. I mean, it's the past. But sure. Um, yeah. So, if you have more to say, please. I don't want to move on if you're not. Ready. <laughs> uh, no, like uh, other stuff I did like. I like. Again, like the progression of Wolverine's character and attitude, like him being like, I'm five meters away. I bet you're thinking, do you have enough time? Like basically, you're lucky punk, you know, the Clint Eastwood style thing. But it's a it's Chris Claremont. So it takes up like 11 sentences to do. versus um the clint eastwood one you feel lucky punk it's it's not that it just no it's i'm going to explain to you all of my powers first and then tell you the distance between us because i'm that i know that but because i'm just that good i can smell it i guess um (laughs) i can smell the distance between us (laughs) but i do want to say like speaking of him like slicing and dicing being like a badass and all this shit the goons that he mutilates here that he like because again it's implied on the page that he murders them. Yes. But because he's a good guy and he can't murder people, years from now, yeah. years from now, these are the guys that go on to, and, and maybe some of them were girls. I don't remember now. But these I are the people, two of the guys. Yeah. These are the people that go on to become the original Reavers. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that crazy, though? Like that they're like, hmm, what kind of loose ends do we? We want to make these cyborg people. Ooh, I got an idea. Wolverine didn't actually kill those people. They just became cyborgs to, to mend their missing limbs. They were just horribly mutilated and got he just, missing. He limbs. just mutilated them. Limbs. Just destroyed their bodies. Sullivan need tank legs now for some reason. <laughs> that they That's had no character. choice but to like give in to, to Donald Pierce's whims and turn them into cyborgs. <laughs> um, I liked the artistic choice for the astral plane. Like it was kind of cool that. Cyclops' eyes are always in shadow. I love like, that too. I love I I, nice I love time. how they always have them in shadow. Uh, I also like the way the art conveyed fear on the Hellfire goons. Mm. Like when when Wolverine explained everything, like you see like other guys' face drop, even though it doesn't really make full sense. Mm. I will like, say about the his his eyes being shaded, they they did that, and then there was one scene in like a couple issues ago where he's talking to Gene and his eyes aren't shaded. And then it's that next issue where she basically is like, let me take your visor off because you have a good face. Like, like I wonder if like any of that was like, is that just all me being like super into this shit? Or are you? <laughs> oh, no, I can see where it's like. From. And then ever since then, he's got his eyes shaded again. Like, it's crazy yeah. that like they chose to do that. And then the very next thing is, is that. But either way, um, it is. I like the touch. I like the touch of it. Yeah, like art-wise, again, like you can feel 
John Byrne knowing what he likes, how to like to draw it and everything. It's just like some dialogue choices are just questionable, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, some <laughs> artist if you want to be honest with it, some of these artistic choices are questionable too, but Oh, yeah. sure, yeah. What are we going to do? They're all horny, whatever. <laughs> I'm happy Storm isn't like full on in chains kind of slave. Jesus Christ, I know. They I know. didn't do it, that. They actually make her just look, I don't know, like It could have like been so much worse. Yeah, like the dialogue could have been changed to not saying slave and you wouldn't yeah. think anything of it. Probably not, yeah. Yeah. Honestly. But when you add the slave part, you're like, oh. Oh, ouch. Okay. That would cool. that. Yeah. So be- before we uh, take off today, so like how much do you think is the Phoenix letting Gene just go with the flow? Um, I think at this point, this is... um. So it's in the next issue, we'll see, where things change. But yeah. I wonder, I, I do feel like she's not in, in a whole lot of control right now. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe I want to believe that. Maybe I want to believe that, that there's <laughs> the no part of her, her that would have done said that to Like, whatever she does to Scott or anyone else, fine. But that she would do say that and, like, legitimately hit. Like, use her actual hand. And, like cut her face cut storm's she, face she not she's not physically touched anyone else she's fought yeah you know what i mean like this is the first time she's actually hit somebody with her hand like i don't i don't want to believe that was really gene uh, <laughs> i want to believe that was um mostly mastermind and the phoenix's like quote, quote unquote dark powers or whatever um but i don't know man because she yeah. snaps out of it real quick right <laughs> but is what snaps her out of it doing that to storm you know what I mean? Like an argument, if you wanted to make like a weird, like just like let's redeem Jean Grey, like retcon of it, maybe that's what snapped her out of it. It only gets hindered by the idea of what we know now of Jean and when she goes crazy. And it's like, oh, there's no Phoenix involved. It's just, um, it's just, uh, you. Like in retrospect, the most in control psychic, mainstream psychic we know is kind of Emma. Like Emma's done bad things, but she is in control, knows who she is, and knows how to handle it. Like mm-hmm. Xavier and Jean. Uh, Emma has killed like shit. she killed some she killed Firestar's horse for no goddamn reason. But you know, she, that's fine. She was in control. I you you know what I mean? Like, I, I hear you. She, she it was her choice to do it. But yeah. She has, I will say though, she did there was a stretch, and I, it's probably happened before, but there was a stretch where she was in the like her body was in a coma and her consciousness went into Iceman's body. But to your point, Emma wasn't in control of her body, neither was Iceman though, but she was in control of Bobby's body. So she was in control still. So yeah. <laughs> the point, I guess, really still stands. Um yeah. <laughs> All psychics are bad. The end. <laughs> the end. Yeah. But like speaking, yeah, speaking of, I do have a note on here. All psychics being bad. Gene speaking of Gene being like, okay, well how much of it is just you're kind of a fucking asshole um she takes she goes up there she clearly like manipulates scott like basically takes his takes his virginity and then she's like what if we establish like just this permanent thing where i'm in your brain all the time (laughs) like he's in no emotional state to agree to this he's going through quite the roller coaster and knowing that it leads to losing everything leaving and then dating a woman 
who just happens to look like her ex and then finding out everything about her and then going like he never like he never... when he goes not evil i'm using quotations when he gets darker when he changes come on we can't blame the guy <laughs> not really not, not really can't that. blame he's trying when he was with emma what did she do hey stop pouting be a fucking leader and then he just did it and then he died and happily had emma in his brain they had great conversations in his brain and complete trust all the time and i always go back to uh house of m when everyone got what they always wanted and his perfect world he was dating emma yeah yeah and gene was like a god so you know they, they just yeah. i think i think uh spider-man was with gwen not yes Mary that Jane. part i definitely remember yeah. yeah so you know just like the deepest desires you know it and happens. so let's end on like some healthy people though Okay, because oh, we're yeah. talking about some truly unhealthy individuals yes. here. So there's a scene. That oh, wait, we... we have a question from the audience. Okay. Okay, so you had had mentioned about um, the the black queen having a birthmark on her face or a beauty mark on her face. Yes. So I'm looking through this issue, and when they do a close up, it looks like a spade or a club it i've i saw that a couple times too i i i I saw that in this issue and then i went back and i look and sometimes it's blurred like i can't tell if it if it's just if it's meant to be or if it just happens but it always seems to be the same shape yeah like rather than a squiggle it's not a perfect yeah it's not a circle it's like always got a little line out the bottom yeah and i can't see it well enough to say like yeah that's definitely a particular shape i i noticed that and didn't write because i did the same thing I'm like i can't i yeah. can't tell and i don't really know if if it's me looking for shit at this point now or if it's like but if you're seeing it too man maybe maybe it's there maybe that's what it is because in this close-up you see it too yeah yeah, the next issue. Yeah. It kind of does. Yeah. I mean, oh, wow. Yeah, you're right. Something they didn't do. Well, that was like, a, like an doing. arrowhead. A little bit. Well, I mean, but I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> Similar ish. Yeah. Wasn't um, sure if it was a significant thing. I think I, I'm guessing maybe it wasn't always. And when I was looking at the back issues, it was just kind of like a scribble. And then mm-hmm. maybe at this point they're like, oh, maybe if we do draw that, because they're <laughs> a clever idea. <laughs> yeah, there are times where it's like that. Clearly, that is that shape. That is that shape, right? <laughs> like, just messing with people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Any more notes for? I this just wanted to we... end on a healthy yeah. relationship, and that is, uh, of all people for in this moment, uh, Banji and Moira. Yeah. Who we the the narrator didn't talk about because it's like a throwaway scene. But we do randomly cut to them hanging out in Scotland. Banshee's just jogging around. He goes in to see Moira working late, and she's exhausted. And he's and he literally says to her, "Want to fool about then?" And she's like, "No, I'm too tired." He's like, "Okay, well, what, why don't you tell me about what's going on?" And then they just talk. Yeah, like, nice. That's nice. She's like, "I'm just thinking about all these timelines I've already lived through." And she's how like, fucked "Oh, up it I was. don't know. I'm sorry, Banshee. I'm just thinking about all the ways Charles and I have just." Com- completely manipulated and fucked over everyone's lives <laughs> no worries bye no worries. Uh, yeah uh, any of our lovely fans for christmas want to find me the uh convention exclusive hellfire club marvel legends four pack go for it 
Uh, we'll we'll give you a we'll give you a PO box to send it to. That's my that's my statement. That's your. We'll that's get your... a PO box. All right, you're you're in charge of that, man. I do I do enough over here, man. Yeah, I agree. It. I agree. That's fine. You you want free <laughs> gifts from our our the people who take the time? Don't to, send to do Josh this. anything. No, just listen and enjoy. Don't. It's fine. I don't need anything. Save your. I money. request things. I request you shaking people so they can read or He's... watch the podcast. What? Not watch or read. Listen to the podcast. After you shake them, you tell them, "Hey, this is the podcast. This is why I'm shaking you." Also. Hunt down this four pack. It's really cheap. It's only around two hundred bucks. Now, and now we can. Then run you now send can, it he's to the this, PO box, and I think that's good. And send Josh Cole. That's fine. Can we just land the plane or what? What are we doing here? <laughs> and if they do need to email us, so they can send me a gift and you Cole. Where can they email? You can go to KrakoaRadio at gmail.com. You type that in. You send him. Hey, what's the PO box so I can send you a bag of shit? And then. <laughs> Like when he checks it, you know, just have fun with them. Have fun with them, <laughs> listeners. Just have fun with that. <laughs> and when they when they want to see you attacking uh, comic book writers, where can they do, where can they do that? <laughs> you can see me on my high horse at <laughs> Madman three thousand five. Nice, love it, love it. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening on this fun journey. Next episode, we are going to cover the rest of the Dark Phoenix Saga.